Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Would you take your Bibles, please open them to the book of Hebrews. That's where we're going to start. Hebrews chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Sabbath and the New Covenant. The Sabbath and the New Covenant. And one of the reasons why I'm presenting the study today to you is because there are two primary groups that like to hover around Christian believers trying to trip you up over this issue of what's known as Sabbath worship. One group is a, an extreme form of the Messianic movement or the Jewish roots movement that would want to bring you back into the Old Testament and to live by the first five books of the Old Testament, which are known as the Torah. Now, we have studied through the first five books of the Old Testament as a church. Those studies are up online because we believe those are important books of the Bible, and they're foundational in understanding so many things about God and his nature and the Old Covenant. But they are not exclusively the the books that we use for God's instruction and for God's desire for our lives. And so there'll just be those among you that say, why aren't you um, celebrating the Jewish feasts? And why aren't you celebrating the Sabbath? And why are you worshiping on Sunday? That's one group that likes to hover. A second group that loves to make this an issue are known as the Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists probably take the most strongest view of Sabbath worship. And some will go as far as to say that you are not a true believer if you're not worshiping on Saturday. Some would go even far to say that if you worship on Sunday, if you worship on Sunday, that you have taken the mark of the beast. And that if you don't worship on Saturday, not only you're not a true believer, but you are caught up in paganism, you're self-deceived, And that's simply not true. That is not a true teaching of the Bible and it's not the heart of God. Maybe you've heard a few of these things. Things like, you're not obeying God when you don't keep the Sabbath. And that idea of keeping the Sabbath has been turned into worshiping on Saturday. That's the only day that you can gather together to worship is Saturday, some say falsely. Maybe you've heard someone say, Uh, God never changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And you would be correct. God never changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. It has not been changed. Saturday is Saturday and Sunday is Sunday. Some people say Sunday worship is of the devil. Some people would say you're not going to be blessed if if you don't worship on Saturday and on and on and on. If you haven't heard these yet, eventually, unfortunately, you probably will. Because there are people today, like there were in the early church, making diets and days the true measurement of both maturity, and unfortunately, some people make it the measurement of whether you are really saved or not. They try to lay what is known as a works trip on you. That in order to be saved, these are the particular works you must do and continue to do But it's simply untrue. The Bible is clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man 
should boast. None of us can boast of our good works. Because after all, what are our good works that were not motivated first by the love of God in our lives? Apart from God, all we had were bad works. But now in Jesus Christ, he's living his life through us and we get to enjoy worshiping him. So before we move on in our Hebrew study, verse by verse, it's important that we pause and ask the question, what about the Sabbath? Or answering the question, must Christians only worship on the Sabbath? Because with the rise of the popularity of the Messianic Jewish movement, and various organizations, both Christian and non, that, lead, that lay this heavy legalistic trip about keeping the Sabbath, it continues to trip up simple, sincere believers that just want to worship God. Number one, we're going, to cat, we're going to ask a series of questions and answer them. Here's question number one. What is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. For he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished, from the foundation of the world, verse four. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. The seventh day, also known as the Sabbath, this day of rest, what is the Sabbath? Well, you can mark that word seventh day, you can write next to it Sabbath, and it literally means to rest from your labor. It means to rest. It's a Sabbath day of rest. Just like with God, at the end of creation, on the seventh day, he rested. Now understand that the rest of God doesn't mean he ceased from all activity. Other way, though, otherwise, the world would have fallen apart. It simply refers to that the creative work of God in those seven days was ended. Now, this is for a different Bible study at a different time, but I do want to say this at the outset. The pattern of God of resting still exists today, physically. And the pattern was simply six days you work, on the seventh day you rest. And so it is vital that you and I learn how to rest and to take a day of rest where we generally don't do anything but cease from our labor and enjoy our relationship with God. Now, there isn't a particular day that's necessary that you do that on, but I know this. For those of you that are working six, seven days a week, 12, 15 hours a day, you will not be able to do that for very long before your body wears out. And so there is a practical principle from God that is still with us today. We have to learn to rest. Even in our culture that push, 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 and, and the, big, you know, the big buzzword in our culture today, in the business world, is the word efficiency. Let me, that, that's speaking in tongues. Let me give you the interpretation. Efficiency means we're going to work you as hard and as fast and as get as much as we can out of you until you can't work anymore. Anybody ever been introduced to efficiency in their work before? Yeah. 
Yeah, I was too. Many years in the corporate world, they always were talking to us about efficiency, and that always meant that we would be working a lot harder than we were last year, and a lot more. So that principle is still with us. Work, rest, work, rest. However, from a doctrinal biblical point of view, when the Sabbath is referred to, the Sabbath is, refers to a day of rest that was a sign of the old covenant. Let me show you. Turn over to Exodus chapter 31. The biblical definition of the Sabbath is a sign of the old covenant between God and Israel. It's a sign of the old covenant between God and Israel. Notice with me Exodus chapter 31. Pick up with me in verse 12. Now, you might even notice in your Bible, because I did last night, in Exodus chapter 31, you know how the Bible puts little titles up there. They're not inspired of God, but there's little titles to tell you what the paragraph's going to be about. Well, in my Bible, above verse 12, it says, sign of the covenant, the Sabbath. And here's what it says in Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak also to, what does your Bible say? The children of Israel. Now, this is a very important distinction that we've been making through the book of Hebrews because the children of Israel is a distinct group of people. And this particular group of the children of Israel, this generation, was the generation that was delivered out of Egypt by Moses in answer to their prayer. This is the generation that doesn't enter into the rest of God, but because of their unbelief, they sin, and they sin against God, and he's, this is where God says, I swore my wrath, they won't enter into my rest. This is all, this is the same generation. So notice it says, speak to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you through all your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. The Sabbath was given to Israel as a sign of the covenant between them and God. Six days you were to work, on the seventh day you were to rest. And there were very various Sabbaths. There were weekly Sabbaths, monthly Sabbaths, to hold fast to, even yearly Sabbaths. It was a sign between God and Israel. Strict guidelines for the Sabbath to Israel are given in Exodus chapter 35, Leviticus chapter 23, and Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26. Now, according to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13, the Sabbath was not given to be kept by anyone until it was given to Israel in the wilderness. Truly, even as Jesus taught us, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And you'll notice where the word man is, it doesn't use the word mankind. The Sabbath wasn't given to the Gentile nations. It was only given to Israel. It wasn't to be given to the world. It was given to this covenant relationship of the children of Israel and God. Which leads us to question number two. Is keeping the Sabbath the sign of that you are saved. So answer out loud if you know the answer. Is keeping the Sabbath the sign that you are saved? Another way of asking that question, is it the very seal of God in a believer's life? 
The answer is no. What, by the way, say it out loud. What is the seal of God in a believer's life? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're right. A plus plus, class. You're correct. Jot it down. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. And he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Sabbath day observance, Sabbath day worship is not the seal of God, Neither is it the sign and seal of your salvation. Somewhere along the way in church history, the false assertion that the only proper day of worship was Saturday was introduced to the church. There are those that would want to draw you back away from your freedom in Christ and your joy of worshiping Jesus in the new covenant back to the old. As I mentioned earlier, to the Torah, And you would now be in bondage to keeping the festivals and keeping the rules and keeping the Sabbath. Now, listen, enjoying the festivals and enjoying the rich heritage of our Jewish uh, roots of Judaism is nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. You go to Israel with us, you will be amazed at the joy of walking the land. But if you turn back to the law in order to have a right relationship with God, that will be a great failure on your part. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. You have all that you need in Christ Jesus. Don't leave the rest that you have in Jesus to go back to the things that actually point to him in the first place. And worship on Saturday is not the only day that you can worship. Following the strict guidelines of the Mosaic Law, and by the way, it's referred to as as the Mosaic Law because it came from God to Moses, to the children of Israel. Not following the strict guidelines of the Mosaic Law, many think that Sabbath keeping means just having a worship on a particular day, but that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches us the pattern of work and rest, And it's important that you not be drawn back into a legalistic law relationship with God. Now listen, the Bible says there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is a revealer of the intents of the heart. The law shows us when we break it. You know, when we come across some rule or some law in the Bible, all it does is reveal to us that we can't be perfect. That that we are unable to keep the law in our own strength. We can't try and attempt to relate to God through a bunch of laws and rules and regulations because we are incapable of keeping them. And God never intended that in the first place. But rather we learn of our insufficiency. We learn of our own weakness. We learn of our own failures when it comes to the law. The law reveals, the Bible says the law is a schoolmaster. It's a teacher. And what does it teach us? We have failed. 
or more clearly that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we are in desperate need of the sufficiency of the grace of God in order for us to live a life that pleases him, that we are unable to live a perfect life at any time in our lives, but we are capable of, by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, the perfect one who gave his life in exchange for your life. So the law isn't bad, it's good, except that it can be used in a wrong way. So please don't let anyone come alongside of you and try to impose upon you rules and regulations in your relationship to God that would make you some better Christian. You know, there are not two or three classes of believers. You know that. And sometimes we think that because we, you know, like you may, you may have come to church today and this past week was just a really good week. You just had a great week. And you look back on it, you go, man, this was good. I was in the Word. I was in prayer. It was fun. I had a great week. And it may make you feel better than somebody that had a bad week. So now all of a sudden we've got two categories of Christians. There are the good Christians and there are the bad Christians. But there aren't two categories. There are not six categories. There are not a hundred categories. There's only one category of believer and that is someone that has laid their life down and surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all fit that category. And so we must be careful to walk in the spirit that we don't fulfill the lusts of our flesh. So be careful that someone doesn't come and lay some trip on you and say, you can only worship on Saturday, which brings us to question number three. Why do we worship on Sunday and not Saturday? (laughs) Now, of course, you know that we had service last night, Saturday nighters. So all I needed to say, if somebody came and brought some trip on them, they'd say, why don't you worship on Saturday? You could look at them and go, I do, bro. I do worship on Saturday. That's where I go to church on Saturday night. But for you guys, you're all in trouble. Because here we are on a Sunday. And most churches worship on Sunday. Around the world, in every language, every culture, worship as these larger gatherings like we have today is generally on Sunday. And so the question is why? Why do we worship on Sunday? I would say this before we answer the question. Technically, I think it's important that we are worshiping every day of the week. I think technically, when we come to this idea of worship, that we don't define worship as just this brief amount of time in the four walls of this building on this property, but rather our lives are lives of worship. That when you go to work at the cubicle, you are worshiping God. When you jump into the truck to deliver, you are worshiping God. When you're handling things at the cash register, when you're dealing with things as the CEO, and everything in between, when you're changing diapers, and you're washing dishes, and whatever you might be doing, it is all acts of worship to the one true holy God in your life. And you worship God on Saturday, and you wake up in the morning on Sunday, and you wake up on Monday with a song in your heart, and Tuesday, you know, here as a church, we literally have something going on available to worship God with a group of believers here every single day of the week. Whether you're here for worship on Saturday night or Sunday morning, whether you come at two o'clock and worship in the Spanish, whether you're here on Monday gathering together or Tuesday with the most excellent way or Wednesday we have another corporate worship service or Thursday you might be gathering with the young, with the young marrieds or, or you might be gathering on Friday with the young adults or whatever it is that we might be doing, we worship God 
every day, all day in our lives. But I want you to consider something in our church. It just hit me um, for service. It just hit me as I was teaching. At least for the last eight years, our church family, you, part of Calvary Aurora, has provided a worship experience. Listen, for the last eight years, we have provided a worship experience pointing people to Jesus Christ every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, and every month for the last eight years through Grace FM. Like this church is constantly, while you're asleep, your church is reaching out, inviting people to worship. While you're traveling on vacation, your church is reaching out, inviting people. People are getting saved at your church. You go, wait a minute, I wasn't there. Well, neither was I, but God was there, and the word of God is going forth from you continually. Even as I'm speaking right now, this message is going out on the airwaves and reaching people that aren't here. It's, I'm not just talking about people that come to the website and click something and look, which those are thousands of people that do that every week. I'm not even speaking about that. I'm speaking about your personal investment and everybody that donates and helps support Grace FM. Everyone that's a part of that, there's gonna be something about the eternal rewards where even now, all day, every day for the last eight years, you have been a worshipful church. And that's something to rejoice about. That is something to be excited about. That is something to be praying about because you are a part of 24-7 worship, whether you realize it or not. Your little church reaching this city, reaching this community, and going out over the airwaves in Jesus' name. We don't just worship on Sunday, church. Do you guys get that? Have I made my point? We don't just worship on Sunday. We don't just worship for the 90 minutes that you are here for a time of song and a few announcements and giving of the tithes and offerings. That, that's not it. We're a part of something much greater in the body of Christ. And you and I, our hearts should be toward worship. Everything that we do is worshiping God. Everything we do as a church is to glorify and honor the supreme, sovereign God that sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. But what about Sunday worship? Well, Sunday is a very significant day. The Sabbath day is known as the seventh day, but do you know what Sunday is known as? The first day of the week. Sunday, the first day of the week. And something extraordinarily significant happened on the first day of the week. Do you know what that is? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so from the very beginning of the early church, they began to worship on Sunday as a memorial remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. When a day is mentioned in connection with the appearances of the risen Lord Jesus, it's always referred to as the first day of the week. You may not have noted this, noticed this, but in his appearances after his resurrection, it's always signified the first day of the week. John chapter 20, verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 27. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Luke 24, verse 31. John 20, verse 20. John 20, verse 22. John 20, verse 23. Jesus was doing a lot of things after his resurrection that were noted in the Bible as being on Sunday. And Sunday is known as the first day of the week. And from some cases, it's also known as the Lord's Day. The first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day. And it seems as if Jesus, after his resurrection, was, a, was establishing a pattern and a precedent for worship. Yes, he did meet with Jews 
on the Sabbath. That's true. But that's exactly where you would find Jews worshiping on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was the sign of the covenant with the Jews. And there was in the early church like parallel worship times. Because of many of the early church, remember, we've learned this, but most of the early church saved in Jerusalem were Jewish. It wasn't until the persecution came where the gospel went outside, where, the, where everyone was scattered and they started leaving, where Paul began, uh, Peter left, and they began to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, that where Gentiles were saved, non-Jews were saved. And as the Gentiles were being saved, there was much more emphasis on Sunday worship. In the early church, with this parallel worship going on, there was worship among the Jews on both the Sabbath and Sunday. And as the Gentile population of the church increased, the day of worship became Sunday primarily the Lord's day. It became the Lord's day. And as soon as I share this, you know, because when we have resurrection services, Easter services, the church is packed. We add services. Every service is pretty much packed. The parking lot is packed. And, and we're excited. We're celebrating Easter and the resurrection. But I try every year, and I try to remind us as a church that really we don't need one day of the year to celebrate the resurrection because literally our Sunday worship services are always a reminder of the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection all the time. It is the very power of God, the very power of God to bring resurrection to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, empowers us. That you face anything in your life right now with the very power of God that resurrected Jesus Christ. What great strength that brings to our hearts, which leads us to question number four as we build this biblical case. Some will ask this, didn't the Roman Catholic Church, the Council of Laodicea, in the 400s under Constantine, didn't the Roman Catholic Church change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? The answer is, many of you probably don't know this, but the answer is no. What happened in the council of Laodicea is that Constantine gave forth an anti-Semitic edict outlawing Saturday worship. But at that time, there were already thousands upon thousands of Christian believers already worshiping on Sunday. But let me just say this. Let's just say for the argument's sake that the Roman Catholic Church and the Council of Laodicea did change the worship and we're worshiping on Sunday because of man's decision. Listen, just because a church makes a decision or a leader makes a decision doesn't mean you receive that if you haven't checked it in the Bible first. So even if they did change it, and they, even if they did change it, and we're going to worship on Sunday, listen, the Sabbath has never been changed. It will always be the seventh day. It hasn't been changed. Even if a, a, some edict comes forth, even if some leader said, even if there's some YouTube video that was put out, and they're, they're somehow trying to change it, according to the Bible, that is our final authority. Not some council, not some religion, not some church. The Bible says for us, my responsibility in teaching you the Bible is to teach you this. You and I are to test all things and hold fast to what is good. We're to test all things. But no, the Roman Catholic Church did not change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Worshiping on Sunday began in the book of Acts. That's where we find the pattern for the early church, in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week, church? It's also known as 
the Lord's Day. On the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. What were people doing on the first day of the week? They were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in the breaking of bread, and in coming together, studying the Bible. They were coming together for fellowship and koinonia. They were coming together to partake of communion and even share a meal together. They were doing that on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, just a few years after the book of Acts. On the first day of the week, the first day of the week is what church? It's also known as? Yes. The first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the first day of the week, which is also known as Sunday. There's already an establishment and a pattern of worship on Sunday because Sunday is significant in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in his appearances after he rose again. Now, here's something for you to look at. In Acts chapter 15 was what is known as the first church council because by the time we get to the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, there is an explosion of salvation and people being saved and born again among Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I mean, it, it's just out of control. God is exploding upon the world, the known world at the time, where Gentile after Gentile are being saved. And the early church, there's a lot of tension between Jews and Gentiles, and the church convenes a council, a gathering of leaders to say, what are we supposed to do about this? What are we gonna do with all these Gentiles? What do we need to make them do? What does it mean to be saved? And as they come together, there's a lot of arguing and a lot of opinion sharing. And James finally comes out and he establishes those necessary things. They weren't rules. They were saying, just have them do them and there'll be peace among us. When the first church council met in Acts chapter 15, trying to determine what the Gentile believers should observe, one thing that they did not lay on them was Sabbath keeping. They didn't say, hey, stay away from things of blood and things that are strangled and make sure they keep the Sabbath. Wasn't anywhere in their answer. It wasn't anywhere condemned. It's not even mentioned at all. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 15. The Holy Spirit told them not to lay upon the Gentiles any greater burden than those essentials. And Sabbath keeping was not the sign of the new covenant. And therefore, it was not to be imposed upon Christian believers. There is so much evidence of Sunday worship in the early church, but not just the early church, but also among a group of people known as the early church fathers. These were men that taught messages, pastors, leaders, elders, bishops of the early church. They taught messages and they wrote letters. They weren't inspired of God, so that's why they're not a part of the Bible, but they wrote nonetheless. They just says that my messages are posted up on the internet. They're not inspired of God, but they're significant in the gift of pastor teacher. And so just like, just like today, they would write things. And do you know in the first couple hundred years of church history, we have example after example after example of Sunday worship. Again, those of you that are church history buffs, this will interest you. 
the Epistle of Barnabas, about A.D. 100, the Epistle of Ignatius, 107, the writings of Justin Martyr, 145, the Apostolic Constitutions, which was basically a book of church life in the second century, Irenaeus in 155, Pliny's letter in 107, Clement of Alexander in 194, and even Tertullian in 200, they all mention and affirm Sunday worship. It's all throughout the church, even to this day. It's biblical, it's spiritual, and it's practical. We can worship on any day of the week. Imagine that to misalign the character of God for someone to come alongside of you and you're walking out of a Sunday worship service and they're going to lay some heavy trip on you. What do you do in worship on Sunday? As if God would be looking at you today and saying, what are you guys doing? Why, don't you, why aren't you like your Saturday night friends at Calvary Aurora? Why are you, I don't accept your worship. You're worshiping on the wrong day. Can you imagine the heart of God? that would come and judge you harshly and critically for you desiring to commune with him and enjoy him this Sunday morning. Or if you're hearing this on the radio at a later day, Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whenever it might be. May we be protected from those legalists and those that would want to bring us under some kind of bondage that is both unbiblical and untrue. Which brings us to the next question, number five. And that's a good question. Is the Sabbath taught in the New Testament for believers to keep, yes or no? You may be surprised, the answer is no. And this is the way it usually will be presented to you. Well, I don't know, I thought it was the 10 commandments, not the nine commandments. And you're like, well, I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) I guess it is the 10 commandments. But I want you to listen here, because of the 10 commandments, Nine of them are moral reflections of the character of God. And one of them is a sign and a seal of the old covenant with the children of Israel. So consider this in the New Testament. Of the Ten Commandments, nine of the moral character-related commandments of God are repeated in the New Testament. So for example, number one, to worship the Lord God only That's mentioned no less than 50 times in the New Testament. Idolatry, 12 times. Profanity, or taking the Lord's name in vain, four times. Honoring your parents, six times. Murder, six times. Adultery, 12 times. Stealing, four times. False, being a false witness and a liar, four times. Covetousness, covetousness, nine times. Keeping the Sabbath, zero. It's nowhere as an imposition for you to be right with God to keep the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, if you look through the various lists of sins in the world, and by the way, let me just be clear. The Bible says that we are all sin, and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That that is something true for all of us. None of us gets a free pass of God's judgment upon our lives. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God which should lead us to the conclusion to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and ask him to forgive us and deliver us from our sin. Because sin is not forbidden because it's bad. It's bad. It's not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It destroys us. 
what appears to be something that we enjoy actually is like a spiritual cancer that is destroying our lives from the inside out. That the best way to live life is how God dictate, dic, dictates to us, not our own. And, and if you're listening to me now, you know, God will allow you the freedom to live life as you desire to live. Understanding this full well, that whatever direction you live, you will either enjoy the benefits of obeying God or the consequences of disobeying God. There isn't a third option. And in the Bible, sin is mentioned on every turn. I mean, if sin wasn't such a serious thing, then why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? Why did an innocent man, God in human flesh, suffer an excruciating beating and torture to be hung on a Roman cross that was the type of death that was reserved for the worst of the worst people on the earth? If sin wasn't serious, if it wasn't so destructive, why would God in his great love for you send his son Jesus Christ if he didn't love you and care for you and want to deliver you from the shame and the guilt and the wrath that comes from God because of our sin? And you know there are a few places in the Bible that actually lists sins by name. I found four of them. You may find more, but I have four of them. And in the times that the New Testament lists sins, Sabbath breaking isn't one of them. In Mark chapter 7, 13 sins are listed. In Romans chapter 1, 20 sins are listed. In Galatians chapter 5, 15 sins are listed. And in 2 Timothy 3, 18 sins are listed. And none of those lists have Sabbath breaking or worshiping on Sunday as a sin. Nowhere in the New Testament. The key questions for those that believe and want to legalistically impose Sabbath worshipers, worship on believers is this, and really a few questions. Number one, why is it nowhere in the New Testament is it taught that the fourth commandment should be observed? Why is it that nowhere in the New Testament is failure to keep the Sabbath day condemned as a sin? Why is the fourth commandment itself not even repeated once in the New Testament? If Sabbath keeping is so important for a disciple of Christ, why doesn't Jesus teach about it in the Sermon on the Mount? or any of his teachings? Why didn't Jesus command Sabbath keeping? Why didn't any of the apostles command Sabbath keeping? Why didn't even the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 command Sabbath keeping as the way Gentiles should be right with God in New Testament worship? Every mention of the Sabbath in the book of Acts without a single exception is in direct connection with Jewish worship on that day and not referring to a new believer or a Christian celebration of the resurrection. Christian believers are under a new covenant and the sign of the seal of the new covenant is not the Sabbath. You know what the sign of the new covenant is? The bread and the wine. The broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's the sign of the new covenant. It points to all-sufficient God and our desperate need for him. It points to his forgiveness. It points to his freedom. And that's why as a church we have communion regularly because we're never told in the Bible how often to have communion. So here at Calvary we have communion once a month in our larger gatherings on the weekend and every Wednesday night communion is available. We have it available every time we gather on Wednesdays so that we might be reminded of the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's the sign of the new covenant. Jesus says that himself when he says 
And you can jot it down, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now and now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. The sign of the new covenant is the finished work of Jesus Christ, not our works. And as I've mentioned before, we're so grateful that we don't live under the old covenant, that we didn't bring our precious little lambs to sacrifice today, that we won't have incense going up in front of the temple, but they were all shadows and pictures of who was to come, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment. So that now by faith in him, as you enter into a faith relationship with God, we don't have a Sabbath day in the new covenant. We have a Sabbath God. By faith in Jesus Christ, you have fulfilled the law by the finished work of the cross and not your own works because you will never be able to fulfill the law. And it's in this new covenant with Jesus that we no longer observe the Sabbath because he himself is our rest. So I have a few scriptures to share before we go. Would you turn over to Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. And let's learn what the Holy Spirit teaches us to a predominantly Gentile church. Colossians chapter 2, pick up with me in verse 16. After giving such a great and grand explanation of the grace of God and the finished work of the cross, we come to verse 16 in Colossians 2 where it says, Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink. That would be all the dietary restrictions throughout Leviticus. Don't let anybody judge you on what you eat and what you drink. As long as it's not sinful, don't let anybody judge you. Or regarding a festival, or a new moon, and notice there, or Sabbaths. Why? Verse 17, because they're a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. With Jesus Christ, you have the very substance of a relationship with God. So the festival refers to yearly Sabbaths. The new moon refers to the monthly Sabbaths. Sabbaths in general refer to the weekly Sabbath. They're all shadows of things to come. Exactly what Paul, I believe the author of Hebrews, is saying to the Hebrews. Don't go for the shadows. Don't go backwards. You have it all. By faith in Jesus, you have everything fulfilled. Don't go backwards. Don't go back to the shadows. So somebody comes up after the service last night who is a good friend of my friend, Pastor Bill Gim. Bill Gim is, grew up here in Aurora, and he pastors a Calvary in Amarillo, Texas, and he's out from time to time. And so he shared a story with her I thought was great when it comes to shadows. Bill and his now wife, Cindy, when they were dating, they went to the same legalistic Christian college. And so that college didn't allow them to do a lot of things. And one of the things that they were forbidden to do was touch each other. A boyfriend and a girl, they couldn't hold hands. And so as they were in college and they didn't hold hands, they would walk together on the sidewalk and as they were walking together, they would put their hands in such a way where their shadows looked like they were holding hands. And so they want, I'm not touching, I'm not touching, I'm not touching. You know how your kids do to each other? Oh. So, but anyway, this is much better. 
Much better. I'm, my, my kids did that. I don't know about yours. So, so they're walking. They're walking together, and they, would, they were obeying the rules. But as they, had a, they were walking out in the sun, they were able to, to pretend, if you will, they were holding hands by the shadows. But once they left the school, and once they got married, they began to hold hands. And holding hands now physically, they would never go back to that little game that they had with the shadows. Because the shadows was pointing, one day, honey, we're going to hold hands. One day. Day, honey we're going to get married one day we're going to be able but until then we'll play the shadows and never again now I hope it's a true story I'm going to text De- Bill later today if it's not a true story now everybody thinks it is so I'll correct it uh, at this afternoon but I thought it was great because it's such a great picture now that you have the fullness of Jesus Christ why in the world would you want to go back to the shadows you have the fullness in him don't let anybody judge you the Holy Spirit says. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4 now. Galatians chapter 4. And if there were sister uh, books of the Bible, you know, if books went together, Hebrews and Galatians really go together. They cover a lot of the same topics from a different angle. Notice in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Is there anything wrong with being involved with the festivals? No. No. They're beautiful and wonderful. But if you're following the festivals, thinking that that's what makes you right with God, you're wrong. Is there anything, anything wrong with taking a day of rest? No. It's a great practical principle. But if you're doing it in a way of worship in order to be right with God, yes. Yes. Diets and days. You know, if you choose, like you say, well, you know, I, I just don't think I want to eat bacon. All right, I don't understand you, but all right. It's okay if you don't want to eat bacon. But if you choose not to eat bacon in a way to relate properly to God, you're wrong. You can eat bacon and be right with God. And you can choose not to eat bacon and be right with God. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ that matters, not your works or mine. And we have to have the right perspective. Notice Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. But now, after you have known God, or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to what what was called shadows in Colossians? Notice what he calls it in Galatians. Weak and beggarly elements. Why do you want, and then he says, why are you turning back to which you desire to be in bondage? A legalistic relationship with God is bondage and will bring bondage. It will. Today I call you not to a list of rules and regulations, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he'll take care of the rest. He'll help to find for you what life looks like. And sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes what people, you know, so, so you might say, well, wait a minute, Ed, you might have this rule or that rule. Listen, sometimes people misunderstand the wisdom of God and call it legalistic rules because God's filled with wisdom. And, and it's not legalistic rules, it's the wisdom of God. And I call you to a relationship with God that will lead you to live in the wisdom of God as he reveals to us in his word. And if you want to go back and submit yourself to rules and regulations in order to relate to God, then you're going back to weak, beggarly things that will bring you in bondage. And this is a particular focus on Judaism as we read in the law as we read in Hebrews. So notice, he says in verse 10, the key word here is you observe. 
you observe. That's a technical word that speaks of observing in the form of worship. You're observing them as a worship to God. Days, days are the weekly Sabbaths. Months, these were the new moons. Seasons, these would be the feasts, the feast days that typically uh, came around the agrarian calendar of the Jews. And also years, he says. You observe months, days, months, seasons, and years, which would be the sabbatical year in the 50th year of Jubilee. The Holy Spirit through Paul is clearly speaking about the observances of all the Jewish holy days, the law, including the Sabbath. And he says, I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. I'm afraid for you that you're going to leave the grace of God and go back to the law, including the Sabbath. There's so much the more that we could cover biblically and historically and spiritually of the new covenant. But the important thing for you today is you can worship God on any day. You should worship God on every day. And don't let anybody throw some trip on you and judge you that you come to church on Sunday. Or maybe you're working and you come to church on Wednesday. Uh, I say just worship God as much as you possibly can. Fill your days and fill your lives with the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Listen to music that'll blow your mind when it comes to worshiping God. Listen, tune your ear to Bible studies and read books that will help you grow in the things of God. And you'll be a blessed person. You'll enjoy it. Now you say, well, I don't listen to any of that. Well, you'll still be a blessed person by faith in Jesus Christ. He loves you. This is a matter of enjoying your life. One more verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 5. Just like any relationship, you know, we do things that help us enjoy the relationship more. And we can also do things that will help us not to enjoy the relationship and not really enjoy the, the, the joys of fathering or mothering or marriage or not enjoy friendships. Or, but we, we as I think it was uh, Greg Laurie that once said this, you know, we make our choices and then our choices make us. We make our choices and then our choices make us. And in Romans chapter 14, we'll end here, verse 5. One person esteems a day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each, man be convinced, or let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he doesn't eat, and he gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, verse 13, let us not judge one another anymore but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word on this topic. And please forgive us from those that would want to stumble us, want to confuse us, and take even something good, the day of worship, the desire to worship, and bring it into a place of bondage. 
and make it like a doctrine that now, if we don't see it that way, somehow we're wrong. God, would you free us up to live lives, to enjoy fellowship with you? Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you every single day of the week. And I also thank you for the, for the beauty of knowing that the radio goes out from this facility, from this church, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, encouraging people to worship you, encouraging people to draw near to you, desiring to reach a city, to reach a, nation, to a, a state, to reach a nation, and to reach a, a country and a world with the gospel. That we would just go forward and preach the gospel and love people into the kingdom and reveal to them, through using the law, the guiltiness of our need for forgiveness. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You know, you, just because you've been in church and carry a Bible and such doesn't mean that you are saved or born again. The Bible says that there's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us himself, unless a man is born again, he won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so today I want to invite you. It actually isn't about the day you worship. It's, you know what it's about today? Do you worship? Have you turned away and repented? That's what the Bible says. Have you repented of your sin? I was just sharing with a young lady uh, right before service, and I recalled when I walked into a church and just how jacked up and messed up I was, how far from God I really was, how I had taken the freedom of God and made so many decisions that not only were hurting me, but all around me, how I doubted that God would love me considering where I was in life and what I had done. But God's love broke through and I hope it breaks through in your life today. That you might be thinking, man, I'll, I'll make a decision to follow God when I get things right. Listen, you will never get things right, ever, on your own. You'll never come to a place where you are satisfied with yourself. Because your sins and your failures will always be before you. But God is the great forgiver. That out of love, he extends to you the offer that your life might be changed today. So I just want to give you a chance. If you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I need to follow God with my life. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Right here in this room, and I know you guys are downstairs, so downstairs, maybe there's a pastor or somebody on the school ministry that will see you, but just respond to the gospel. I know if you're listening in on the radio, I don't see you at all, but that's the beauty of explaining. I don't have to see you. God sees you. God bless you in the back. Who else would say that's me? Today's the day. You turn away from your sinful past and you turn your life toward God. I mean, it's a serious decision. It's not a feel-good decision. It's like, oh, you know, I stood and now I'm right with God and then you go do your own thing. That, that's not true. God bless you guys. Bless you. It's a good day. It's a glorious day. It's a day where you're standing here today confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. God bless you believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So do that with me, would you? Would you pray to God? You can use a prayer like this. You can repeat after me. and You can modify the words as you just sense this day of decision, but you could say something like this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ who lived for me, died for me, 
And I believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to forgive me of my sins. And I willfully turn my back on my sinful past and ask you to forgive me that I could follow you all the days of my life. Help me, God, truly to turn away and let things go and live in the newness of life. And God, I know anyone anywhere that would pray to you today, in this room, in this building, on the radio, the internet, that you receive them, you don't turn them away. But we don't know what the condition of their heart is. And so I just hope it's real and genuine. I hope that what happened today is this room became a birthing room spiritually, that lives would truly be regenerated, that it's all of God. It's not 99% God and 1% man. It is all God that saves. And I'm grateful that you condescend to our level, inviting us into relationship. So bless those, God, that came to you and turned to you today. May you be glorified in their changed lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.